You're listening to Oh No Lit Class. Mostly dead authors, fresh takes. Ruining required reading, one book at a time. that did a short squeeze on hedge funds to bankrupt Wall Street and pay off its student loans. Because, you know, that's an intro that'll stand the test of time and won't rapidly become utterly incomprehensible. I'm Megan. I'm RJ. And, uh, you know what today is, RJ? If I was the gambling type, then I would be on Reddit fucking over hedge funds. Um, But anyway, I bet that you don't. National Sauerkraut Day. No. MLK Day. No. President's Day. Groundhog Day. Okay. It's Ono Lit Class's fourth birthday. <laughs> the big O four. <laughs> yeah, it is the big O four. That's right, folks. It's been four years now that you've consented to filling your ear holes with our horrible book nonsense. If our podcast was a human person, it would be in pre-K, getting in trouble for making lewd crayon drawings, telling the other kids to demand their allowance be invested in a diverse portfolio, and insisting to the teacher the need to discuss Dr. Seuss's initial support of Japanese internment camps in World War II, and that the underlying moral of Horton Hears a Who is him trying to come to terms with his changing views in post-war America. You won't do, Dr. Seuss. I will eventually. Mm. If our podcast was a gerbil, it would be dead. Uh, but our, it's, it's not a person or a gerbil, it's a podcast. And today, it's continuing our coverage of Dante Alighieri's The Divine Comedy. When we last left our comedia, we told you about old, old Durant, Durante, Durante? Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant. <laughs> Which I was informed no, by, by one of our Italian listeners who very graciously decided not to cancel us. Translates to during, like the preposition, which is wonderful. Anyway, we Kevin ma- During? Yep, Kevin During. We mainly stuck to During's life story, so that this episode could be entirely devoted to that good, sweet, meaty plot you crave. That I'm assuming you crave. Anyway. So, obviously, like part one, this episode is structured a bit differently. I will be kicking off our journey with the Inferno, then RJ, in what I think might be an Ono Lit class first, will break in to lead us through Purgatorio, and then I will return to take us through the gates of Paradiso. RJ, you uh, got anything you want to add before we join Dante the Pilgrim, the fictional character who is totally distinct from Dante Alighieri, the real-life man, on his divine travels? No. Then let's not waste any more time. Into the Inferno, baby! We kick things off with Dante, Anastasia Steele, Mary Sue. (laughs) Lost in the dark, scary woods, with no idea how he got there. The dark, scary woods are, as we briefly touched upon... Scary. In the last episode, yes, they're very scary. Very phallic. They're also... What? They're woods. I, I guess. Um, they're, Tall, phallic shapes. Um, <laughs> well, that stopped me dead. <laughs> I'll never forget, in one of my literature classes, it was a Fenimore Cooper novel, a short story. I've never heard that name in my life. No. They made it seem like someone who mattered. Okay. There are a lot of trees, and there was a girl climbing a tree, and he really waxed poetic about how uh, really what the author's trying to convey to us is <laughs> she's getting it on. And that tree she's climbing was a dick. Yeah. But so anytime I see trees in literature now, I think maybe penis. Huh. 
That sounds like a joke I would make, not a real thing a professor would say. Yeah. <laughs> That's wild. So no word on whether the, the, the trees are dicks, but they are a metaphor for a midlife crisis. That's 35. Yep. Uh, you know what that means? Time for you to get on that. Yeah, I'm getting <laughs> my be, Ferrari. Yeah. I'm going to get a nice uh, 36, 26, 36 blonde girlfriend. And then you got to get lost in some scary woods and uh, go to hell. Dante has strayed from the path of his life and lost his way, as the quote goes. He makes a point of saying that the woods are indeed so spooky that death itself could hardly be worse. You know, not to put too uh, fine a point on it or anything. So... Yeah, this usually just gets the vague characterization of midlife crisis. But when I first read it, I interpreted this more specifically as like straight up suicidal. Especially when you consider, as we'll see, that Beatrice, who again, we talked about in part one, uh, who's represented in this story not as Beatrice, that one girl that Dante, the actual person, had a crush on when he was nine and talked to a couple times before she died, but Beatrice, the perfect avatar of heaven... Uh, sends down a special guide just to give Dante an all-expenses-paid trip through the afterlife to paradise, but only provided he could get his shit together. That sounds like a lot of effort for her to go through for the guy she likes if he's just at that age where he gets an ill-advised bicep tattoo, buys an ugly car, and, like, quits his shitty office job. Ugly cars are not what's associated with middle-life <laughs> crises, Megan. Expensive, over-the-top cars are. I don't think I've ever seen the stereotype that a guy buys an ugly car. A lot of expensive cars are very ugly cars. You're wrong. <laughs> so, I don't know. I personally always thought that it was more likely that she was going through all this hullabaloo to keep his ass out of hell because he was wildly depressed to the point of, like, contemplating suicide. Cut his life into pieces <laughs> oh, <okay>. like a <laughs> chicken parmesan, <laughs> marinara, mozzarella, a little what? crushed basil on top. What? His wife is an Italian dish and it's delicious. It was terrifying. Anyway, he tries Man, you know what? How did Weird Al not do that song now? Get Weird Al on Twitter, people. Because he got to do last resort. Offensive. Do last resort, but about a chicken parmesan dinner. Jesus. Now he needs to wear a bodysuit and dress as a short, fat Italian man. You know, like the stereotypes. Hello, welcome to the last anniversary of Honolulu class. <laughs> anyway, he tries to get out of the scary woods, but he's chased by a leopard, a lion, and a wolf. And a wardrobe. <laughs> yes, and also a big wardrobe, which would beg some questions regarding, like, the geographical biodiversity of the scary woods, but it's fine, because these are allegorical lions, leopards, and wolves, representing the three major categories of sin that are going to be used to subdivide the nine circles of hell. So, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a whole thing. Um, they are violence, fraud, and incontinence. Depends. <laughs> They're for everyone. When they say it here, they mean a lack of self-restraint. Yeah, you can't hold back. <laughs> like, like, like a weakness in controlling your desires, not a lack right, of Right, my desire is control. to make it into the ball. It's not a lack of bladder control. That would be really funny, though. Like, oh, this circle of hell is specifically for everyone who has to wear Depends. Why? Because fuck them, I guess. <laughs> After outrunning man-eating metaphors, Dante then runs into a ghost. This ghost is not a metaphor, but an actual ghost. And uh, Dante's admittedly been through a lot at this point. It's just like, G -g -g ghost! And he falls to ground in fetal position. But the ghost is like, sup, I'm the great poet Virgil. I wrote the Aeneid. That's the fun poem that actually has the Trojan horse stuff in it that everyone gets disappointed isn't in the Iliad. 
please get up off the ground. This is embarrassing. And Dante loses his shit. He's all like, the poet Virgil? Oh, I thought you meant he was incontinent. No, otherwise he'd be in hell. <laughs> he says, oh my God, I'm your biggest fan. I don't want to make this weird, but I've read all your stuff and like you're totally the reason I'm a writer and you're such a huge inspiration to me. Would it be weird if I wrote you into an epic poem where we become best friends and also you're my new dad and you're proud of me, but also sometimes it's just a little bit gay? I got to stop Meg here. Yeah. I brought this up earlier with Meg. Yeah. For those of you in the know. Yeah. I have no idea what Virgil looks like. As long as I've been alive and heard this name ever used, I've always just imagined the wrestler from WWE lore, Virgil, as my stand-in picture in my head for this man. And I didn't know there was a WWE wrestler named Virgil until earlier today. So for those of you who know Virgil, all, I haven't played Virgil. All five of you. <laughs> I mean, I don't picture really anyone because he's an ancient fucking poet. I don't really have a mental picture. All right, so I needed one. <laughs> I need some guy named Virgil. So you imagine a WWE wrestler. That's fine. And Virgil says, you know what? Okay, um, you can go back to cowering. Cowering was better. I preferred that. And Dante very fearfully asks if Virgil can do anything about, like, the, the wolf that was just chasing him. Because, yeah, like, the ghost of a poet. That can definitely fight a wolf. And Virgil says, and I'm not paraphrasing by much, nah, we gotta find another path. Because the, the she-wolf is always hungry and horny. She will literally kill or fuck all comers, but it's fine. Because someday a big cool dog is going to chase her back to hell. This is a metaphor for getting all the dickheads he hates out of Florence. That's gonna come up a lot. Anyway, to wit, Virgil essentially grabs Dante by the collar and is like, and that other path we're taking? It's through hell. Dun, dun, dun. the song. What? Yeah, I should have realized. Oh. I gotta sit here and wait. I don't want the app. Well, you gotta get the app to get to whatever it is you want. That's right. TurboTax Free Edition is free. Free. <laughs> we gotta take the other path through TurboTax. <laughs> Come on, Dante. Put on these cool fucking sunglasses. <laughs> Do your taxes. <laughs> get through hell. Yeah. Roll the title credits, baby! <laughs> I can see it. Yeah. Dante! Yeah. <laughs> oh, so you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna give me blue balls because you couldn't even skip to the good part? There we go. <laughs> okay, there we go. That's a Black Sabbath for you. <laughs> God damn it. He promises to get Dante through hell, and then purgatory, and finally heaven, if Dante does everything he says and stops being such a little bitch, essentially. Dante asks the extremely reasonable question of, why me? And Virgil fills him in. See, Virgil was just chilling in limbo with the other pagan philosophers when this pretty lady named Beatrice appeared to him and was like, hey, I'm from heaven. My special friend Dante's in trouble and I need you to go help him. And you're a cool guy who has a persuasive word. So can you do it, please? For love? You may be wondering why Beatrice can't just do it herself since she already flew her angelic ass all the way down to hell just to ask for help. Busy. The answer, predictably, is that she is diagnosed with woman-can't-do-stuff disease. Busy. 
thought that like, you know, she'll get scorched with hellfire because she's like a heavenly being. The journey will make her sick or something like that. It's because she's lady. Busy. <laughs> she says more things about how Virgil's like such a smooth talker and the only one she could trust to get the job done and just like really puffs the dude's ego, which is the quickest way to Virgil's heart because he's like, yeah, all right, I guess I wasn't doing anything. And that's the backstory. And so knowing that Beatrice, the sexy symbol of divine love, who is definitely not the next door neighbor, Dante, the real life man, had a big horny crush on despite only exchanging vague pleasantries with him is waiting for him. Dante, the fictional pilgrim, is ready to take on whatever awaits him at the gates of hell. Turns out it's a big sign that says, abandon all hope, you who enter here. <laughs> That's the most popular translation anyway. There's like about a dozen variations, but they're all pretty nitpicky, i.e. abandon every hope, or leave all hope, or you who enter in, that kind of thing. That's the same thing I say when I look down at my dinner plate and point to my mouth. <laughs> With, like, the notable exception of some wild motherfuckers, like, uh, Dorothy L. Sayers, who has Lay down all hope you that go in by me. And, uh, C.H. Sisson, who has No room for hope when you enter this place. Just, just getting real buck wild with it, those two. Through these gates is the path to the river, uh, Acheron? 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 I don't know. I didn't look it up. And it's filled with people screaming their fucking tits off. And Dante's like, uh, why? And Virgil just looks at him like, because they're in hell, Dante. <laughs> it's a good reason. Although technically they're in like pre-hell. Like like hell's boarding gate. There's a lot of zones. Even though it's just so crowded with like wailing sinners, Dante just happens to spot Pope Celestine V. Uh, a dude who abdicated being Pope just five months into the job and was succeeded by a certain Pope Boniface. Oh, Boniface. <laughs> Had that written down, but I knew you were going to say it. Um, who you may remember from part one as the guy who conspired to have Dante exiled from Florence by very sneaky means. Like a dickhead. Look, um, Dante had big ol' balls for sure, but even he couldn't put the actual still-alive Pope in hell. So he did the next best thing and made as many illusions as possible to there being a special place in hell ready and waiting for him. So yeah, they get to the riverbank and Sharon, the uh, ferryman of the dead, is there taking souls across the river. But there's a problem. What do you think it is, RJ? Can't ford the river with that many oxen. <laughs> no. The river is made of fire. No. There's no ACDC backing soundtrack. It's everyone's like, this is kind of boring. Yeah, actually, that is a pretty significant issue. And on top of that, he takes one look at Dante and is like, mm -mm, that's an alive boy right there. I don't fuck with that. And Virgil is like, yeah, well, fuck you. God sent us. Cry about it. Virgil's going to get a lot of mileage out of this. And so Sharon lets him onto the boat, and then a blood tornado happens. Is it a Charon? Karen? Sharon? Somebody would know this. Karen? If they played Hades. Oh, they say it out. They, they say He's it a out character. Out. Oh. Charon. Because he, he takes people down to, to Hades, Hades town. <laughs> I see. Way down. <laughs> Way down. Under the ground. <laughs> <laughs> well... He takes him and there's a blood tornado. You're missing the point. The point is blood tornado. Okay. Which gets that pretty fucking metal. And Dante gets so freaked out that he faints. Which is a thing you should get used to. Because it's going to happen a lot. He is going to faint more often than a southern bell with low blood sugar and a tight corset on a hot summer day. He wakes up off the boat, post-crossing in Limbo, the first circle of hell, which, even though it's not directly addressed, means that Virgil has to have been carrying him this whole time. <laughs> sure, when Dante... How many, uh, how many footprints were there? <laughs> it was when I carried you. 
When Dante Alighieri writes a story where his favorite poet protectively carries his self-insert character's unconscious body through the gates of hell, it's a classic work of great literature. When I write a story where Jane Austen gives a piggyback ride to Megan the fictional pilgrim on their way to see Mike the heavenly symbol of someone I definitely didn't have a crush on in fourth grade and then in a twist of fate met again by chance in driver's ed and we were 16 and had gotten all hot, it's weird and I shouldn't be posting it online. Go figure. So Dante learns that Limbo is where Virgil lives with all the pagans and the unbaptized people and like just generally people who existed before Jesus, which seems really unfair. Like how the hell were they supposed to know? Should have read up. <laughs> because of this, I guess, Limbo doesn't suck as much as the rest of hell. It's mostly just like a big field where they sit around and are sad that they don't know God. <laughs> Dante's just like, dang, Virgil, that's a bummer. I think you're a, if you're a good dude, you should be allowed to go to heaven. Aww. Aww. But for now, they gotta go deeper into hell. And circle number two is Minos the Bull, who judges sinners and coils his tail around to see which circle they end up in. He tells Dante and Virgil to watch themselves, and Virgil pulls the whole, yeah, God protects me, I fear no bitch line, but, like, he's absolutely bluffing. Circle number two is for the lustful. Sinners here are in a big, horny tornado. A hornado, if you will. Dante stands by the Hornado and is like, hey, one of you, tell me your story. And despite being thrown around in a fucking whirlwind, one of them is like, yeah, sure. Though it's probably more like, yeah, sure. And tells a story about being forced into a loveless political marriage and falling in love with her husband's younger brother and committing adultery and then being murdered by her husband for it. And Dante's like, wow, that fucking sucks. That's bullshit. And she's like, I know, right? And they both cry about it. And Dante cries so hard that he passes out. Yeah, <laughs> it sure does. Which I'm, I'm sure Virgil just super appreciates. He just loves to lug this sobbing idiot's body through hell. But he keeps doing it because Dante wakes back up in the third circle of hell. The gluttonous circle. What's the circle for not saying thank you to the guy who keeps carrying your unconscious body around? Just wondering. In circle number three, it's always raining nasty pollution water. And it's also guarded by Cerberus, the three-headed dog. It growls at them, but Virgil hurls mud at his face like, fuck you, because Virgil's kick-ass and he doesn't cry until he passes out. <laughs> you can pet him in Hades. <laughs> I, that's really half the game. A dude there randomly accosts Dante and is like, hey, I know you. I'm also from Florence. And they have a long conversation where... They pretty much just talk about the white gelf, black gelf feud. And Dante asks him about the fate of a bunch of Florentine political figures, and the guy laughs and is like, oh yeah, they're in a super duper mega hell. If you thought that was too on the nose, just wait until the fourth circle. Fourth circle of hell is the avaricious and the prodigal, aka the greedy and like the, the recklessly spendy, the people who squandered their money. I don't know, it's, it seems like a weird sin. It, it feels kind of arbitrary. Anyway, they're basically now doomed to chase each other around in a big wheel with one group screaming, Why are you hoarding all your money? And the other uh, yells back at them, Why are you spending all your money? Which is hilarious. <laughs> Dante notices that, Whoa, what? Some of these guys have that funky tonsured clergyman haircut. Men of the church? Avaricious? And or prodigal? <laughs> it's almost like Dante has some kind of agenda against a popular religious figure. Hmm. Mm. 
And Virgil's like, yep, they sure are. I'm going to monologue about it for a while. And he does. And it's boring. But it's fine. Because the next thing they do is go to the fifth circle, which is a nasty swamp where sinners have muddy cat fights and try to tear each other's throats out. Because this is the circle of the wrathful and the sullen, baby. And Dante's like, gross. And Virgil's like, oh, you think that's bad? The sullen are actually underneath these guys, swallowing the mud. (laughs) (laughs) I think it might be their kink. (laughs) We should go. Remember, really pressed down hard. So they they move on. They get to the river Styx. And Virgil uh, gets to yell at another boatman. And uh, on the way, Dante curses at one of the mud sinners. And Virgil is so proud to see Dante do something that's not crying or fainting that he gives him a hug and a kiss. Go ahead. Write that story where your literary hero kisses you and tells you what a special boy you are. You never know. In 700 years, people might consider it a peerless work of art and be forced to read it as part of their continuing education. Life is funny that way. Was it a kiss with the tongues? It might have been. Mm. <laughs> Depends on what translation you're reading. <laughs> Mark Musa <laughs> does not consider it a kiss with the tongues. Now I'm going to add uh, some color here. You see, because the first time I heard about this story, I didn't know what a Dante looked like. In fact, I never knew what Dante looked like to our episode two what, weeks ago. What WWE wrestler did you imagine him as? <laughs> it was Virgil and The Undertaker. <laughs> Kissing with tongue. <laughs> I mean, because who's a more fitting uh, person to be going through hell? <laughs> please, please, for the love of God, add us on whatever social media of your choice and tell us who you picture as Virgil. Who is not? A, who is your head canon, Virgil and Dante? <laughs> not even just who you picture. Just fan cast them. Your personal Virgils and Dantes. They finish their boat ride, reach the gates to the city of Dis, which encompasses... Not that. No, not that. Dis. It encompasses... Why can't I say this fucking word? I did this on the last episode, too. It encompasses all of lower hell and burns red with eternal hell flame, which also sounds fucking metal. It sounds so cool. Waiting for them at the gates are count of 1,000 pissed off Dissians ready to tear Dante and Virgil to shreds to keep them out. And Dante's like, yeah, actually, that sounds fine. I don't want to go there anyway. Can we go back to the mud people? Or And Virgil's like, no, 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 no. It's fine. We've got the God card, remember? It's like the unlimited pasta pass, but for Jesus. I'll handle this. And he goes up to the gates to talk to them. And the Dissians are like, mmm... You can come, I guess, but the flesh man is still not allowed. And Dante's like, please, please don't fucking leave me out here. And Virgil's getting actively annoyed because A, God's magic hall pass isn't working, and B, in his own personal experience, his very good talking skills generally get him what he wants all the time anyway. So again, he's like, no, no, this is happening. And he goes to the gates again. And whatever he said must have been really fucking stupid because they slam them shut in his face. Boom. So I don't know what he said, but it must something have been... Something real. <laughs> it must have been something real bad. Virgil screams at them for a while and, like, probably gives them the finger. And the fact that Virgil, master of words, the poet, is reduced to, like, whatever the fancy, well-written Italian version of, like, well, why don't you come out here and suck dis nuts, you assholes, makes Dante real nervous, which is valid. But it's fine, because a messenger of heaven 
who's just like an angel, I guess, who apparently sensed that Virgil fucked up. He appears, scatters the crowd, yells at them for trying to prevent God's will, and opens the gate, sucking all the tension out of the moment. Not quite a deus ex machina, but a deus's minion ex machina. Seriously though, if it's that fucking easy, why not just pick Dante up by the scruff of his neck like a kitten and carry him the rest of the way? I mean, I, I know it's because, well, then he wouldn't learn nothing, but it would save everyone else a lot of time and energy. So into dis we go. Inside is circle six, the heretics. This is another one of those personal circles where Dante, like, meets a guy who, like, mean to his ancestors or whatever. And then Virgil decides now's a great time to explain the structure of hell with, like, the three major categories and the nine circles to say nothing of various rings and pouches and whatnot. And so then we go to circle seven, ring number one, starts getting very granular. These are the violence rings. <laughs> and they see the Minotaur and Virgil, for some reason, <laughs> yells, Hey Minotaur, just FYI, this guy here, the living man, don't worry, he's not Theseus. You know, that guy who killed you. He's just some dude that's here to observe your suffering and maybe learn something from it. <laughs> like, dude, you could have just not said anything. But of course, Virgil, as y'all should be learning right now, is almost never capable of not saying anything. The Minotaur, as you might imagine, g gets pissed and chases them towards a boiling river of blood. But that's not all. What's by that river of blood, RJ? Theseus. No. No, uh, I can't get her as revenge? No. That, that would be kind of dope, but no. Hmm. A boat. No, no boats. Uh, poised to take a nap or pass out. <laughs> That'd be really nice, but no. It's a herd of angry centaurs with bows and arrows. That too. <laughs> and Virgil tries to be cool and protect Dante and be like, I demand to speak with your leader, Chiron. Chiron? Chiron? Charon. No. This is someone else now? C no, yeah, this is a centaur. C-H-I-R-O-N. Chiron? Sure. Yeah. But at the same time, he's pointing out each centaur to Dante and whispering their name and what crime they did to end up in hell. <laughs> so uh, while he's being like, bring me your leader, he's also going, and that's Steve. He stabbed like 12 guys in the dick. And it's like, dude, turn it off for like a second. But then they notice that Dante is a flesh boy and Virgil does the whole, you know, we're on a mission from Gad thing. And, and for whatever reason, the centaurs are like, oh, chill. So wait, not specifically to what you just said, but on the mission of God thing, how come you're not imagining them as uh, oh, Ackroyd and Belushi? That would actually, okay, that would actually be, but see, but I feel like Virgil could be either of them. I don't know which of them would be Dante. They take turns. <laughs> and Chiron, Chiron, whatever, lends them a centaur guide who takes them through to the second ring of the seventh circle, which is violence against the self. This place is creepy and it sucks. It's a forest of blackened crying trees that have the souls of people who committed suicide inside them. How do we learn that these trees have the souls of people in them? They talk. Well, <laughs> Dante's uh, flipping out because he hears the disembodied crying and Virgil, instead of explaining that thing I just told you, says, tear off a branch and see what happens. And Dante does, because, you know, he trusts Virgil. And the tree is like, what the fuck? Why would you do that? And then it fucking bleeds black blood. 
And Virgil's like, yeah, Virgil, why would you do that? For a guy who likes to use his words so much, you could have just told Dante that the trees were people. Holy shit. It's just kind of fucked. The, uh, the third ring of the seventh circle is uh, Violence Against God, uh, a.k.a. the Isle of the Nudes. It's a big sandy patch of ground covered in naked people that's constantly raining fire. It's a good time. Your skin will eventually toughen up. <laughs> they skirt that situation and in another section encounter the Sodomites, where Dante gets real excited because he sees his old mentor, Brunetto Latini. They have a whole conversation where Latini praises Dante for being so intellectual and where Dante in turn tells Virgil how fucking great Latini was and how much he misses him. And at no point is there ever like a, hmm, so you're, uh, you're in one of the lower rings of hell, huh? Dang. Moment. Also, there's the fact that, like, real, actual person Dante, while heaping just an incredible amount of praise on his old teacher, is also simultaneously saying he is in turbo hell for doing butt stuff. There, there's quite a lot of scholarly work devoted to chewing on this one, particularly whether or not the aforementioned butt stuff is literal or metaphorical. Something to do with, like, the fact that uh, Brunetto Latini wrote in French instead of, like, working towards unified Italian. Unclear. Either way, it's something. Uh, they part ways and Dante has to tell more Florentines that Florence is bad now, but then shit gets weird again. Because Virgil says, hey, give me your belt and get a load of this shit. And he makes a lasso. And he pulls a fucked up monster out of a ravine that has the face of a man, two paws, the body of a serpent, wings, specifically hairy armpits. We need to know that. <laughs> and a pointy poison tail. And Dante's like, what? And Virgil says, we're gonna ride it. It's gonna be fucking sick. I just need to talk to it. And he does. And they do. Yeah. <laughs> and just like that, I'm back on team Virgil. It's fucking bonkers. It's so good. And he makes a point of letting Dante sit in the front. So if this monster thing uh decides you know fuck this halfway through it can't stab dante with its poison tail because virgil's in the way oh how nice protecting him so they fucking fly to the eighth circle of hell and even though dante is scared shitless he does not faint character growth yeah after that experience they enter the first pouch of the eighth circle no, I don't know why the seventh circle had rings, but the eighth circle has pouches, but Dante assures us that they're very evil pouches. This one is for panderers and seducers. In this context, panderer means pimp, by the way. <laughs> they're in the pimp pouch. <laughs> the sinners are nude and they're being whipped by demons while marched in a line. It makes Dante think of Pope Boniface granting indulgences to the poor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, that's probably normal. And they cross over pouch number two, which is for flatterers, which is a pit of screaming people covered in shit. That's what you get for brown nosing, I guess. Hey. Pouch three is home to the Simonists. What is a Simonist, you might ask? I don't know. Why, it's someone who engages in simony. Is this like Siemens? Sure. <laughs> they present Spaceship Earth. <laughs> Yes, this is the circle of hell reserved 
<laughs> for the people who present to you spaceship birds. It smells like crayon. <laughs> Thank the Phoenicians. Um, it is named for the religious figure Simon Magus, which is a name I only recognized from the 1997 Val Kilmer film The Saint. Simony is the act of selling church offices, roles, or sacred things. Apparently, old Simon Magus is described as rolling up on some of Jesus' disciples and being like, Hey, can you give me some of that Holy Spirit power? I'll pay you. So his name became associated with churches selling out for money. So that's what that is. In Pouch 3, sinners are buried upside down, so their feet are sticking out, and then their feet are burnt by flames. So they come up on one, and Dante's like, Sup, what's your deal, feet man? And the guy, uh, Pope Nicholas, can hear him, kind of, I guess, but he thinks he's talking to. Go on, guess. Guess who he thinks he's talking to. A tree. No. No, this 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 buried man, who is also a pope, who's, who's pope, because there's just a lot of popes in hell. Can't imagine why. Boneface. Yes. Yep, nailed it. He thinks he's talking to Pope Boniface. For some reason, he's like, oh, my good buddy Boniface, here to join me in, in simony hell. But it seems you're a few years early. <laughs> oh. And then Dante uh, calls the papal seat a whore, which, damn, son. And Virgil's like, ooh, you sassy. And he picks him up and carries him like a baby. You know, how friends do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pouch four. The diviners, magicians, and those most evil of all, astrologers. That's right. You ever said, oh my god, I could tell you were a Pisces. That's such a Pisces thing to say. Or, of course I'm a messy bitch. I'm a Virgo. You're going to the eighth circle of hell. I don't make the rules. Dante does. <laughs> also, they walk around with their heads wrenched around backwards, and it looks so fucked up, Dante cries, and Virgil's like, oh good, this again, and then they leave. Shit gets wild again in Pouch 5, home of the corrupt politicians. Also a gang of fucked up demons called the Malabranch, aka the Evil Claws. They hang out in Pouch 5 throwing sinners into a boiling pitch and poking at their bodies with pitchforks and they're huge and scary. And Dante and Virgil trying to sneak by them, and it seems like they'll make it fine because it's real dark and the Malabranch are pretty well occupied. Except... Except... Except that Virgil's had one too many victories lately. And after telling Dante to keep down, he forgot to add, So I can go over and talk to those demons and tell them I've got the special Jesus Unlimited Pasta Pass, so they have to do what I tell them. Because that's what he fucking does. <laughs> and then he's like, Yeah, Dante, it's cool. You can come out. The demons promise to be chill. And then the giant evil demons are like, we're going to be so chill, we pinky promise. Yeah. Yeah. Dante is like basically hiding behind Virgil, noting how the demons look like they want to eat him while the demons say that they'll guide them to like a bridge to the next pouch because this other bridge is broken. And Dante does not want to go with the demons, but Virgil's like, it's fine. They pinky promised. And now I am back off team Virgil because he's an idiot. And the demon in charge signals that it's time to go. Do you want to know how he does it? Do you want to know how he feels it's time to go? He does it with a big fart. There you go. He says literally that he makes a trumpet of his ass. <laughs> That's what I do. Not above the fart jokes. That oh, is what you oh, do. Here we go. Oh, God. No, no, no. Eventually, surprise, surprise, the demons turn on them. And Virgil and Dante have to run away. Virgil again tossing Dante over his shoulder like a terrified sack of potatoes. Then they fall off the edge of a cliff, escape the demons into the next pouch, which is full of hypocrites. So hey, this is perfect for Virgil. 
They talk to a bunch of friars, because of course it's filled with friars. But the big takeaway is they tell them there's a bridge that they can cross, and Virgil's like, what? The demon said the bridge was broken. And the friars are like, who the fuck trusts demons? Everyone knows they're liars. And Dante's like, yeah, Virgil, who the fuck does trust demons? Hmm. Bad people. For once, Virgil has nothing to say. Pouch 7 is full of thieves and weird fucked up snakes that attack them. Pouch 8 is full of fraudulent counselors. I don't know what the fuck that means. Odysseus and Diomedes are there and they walk around on fire. I don't know why they're fraudulent counselors. They don't do a good job of explaining it, but they're Greek, which makes them enemies of Rome. So sure, why wouldn't Dante put them in ultra mega hell? There's another dude being roasted inside a metal bowl who apparently got fucked over by Pope Boniface, which like, get in line, dude. And then Pouch 9 is the Sowers of Scandal and Schism, which is real bad. It's Eli Roth torture porn bad. People are eviscerated and like basically not allowed to have their guts inside their bodies. Like, oh, did you cause division when you were alive? Enjoy being divided. Hell, where subtlety goes to die. Mostly Dante just gets grossed out by dudes carrying around their heads and such. Finally, pouch 10. Counterfeiters and falsifiers. Dante's pretty fucked up after that last pouch and Virgil's like, oh, suck it up, which feels kind of unfair. Like, seeing dudes walking around swinging their intestines like a jaunty watch chain is not the same thing as fainting on a boat because you hear a loud noise. It's not, not the same metric. No. <laughs> Virgil's like, whatever, this pouch is 22 fucking miles, my dude. We gotta go. Everyone here is diseased and trying to claw each other to death, so that's nice. They were all apparently alchemists, which is worse than everything else we've seen so far. Yep. What? Spitting in the face of God. And they watch some other sinners scream at each other for a while about who told more lies and then they leave and head towards what Dante first thinks from far away is another city filled with towers. But no, Virgil tells him, it's a pit full of huge fucking giants that are trapped there. Also, one of them is going to take them to the final circle of hell. Because of course he is. His name is Antius and he used to eat lions and he's fucking scary. And Virgil's like, hey, if you help us, my friend here, the living man, will make you famous with his words. And that works because he picks them up and gently deposits them in the ninth circle of hell traitors. I thought you were going to say Fox News. <laughs> hey! hey. <laughs> Coming at you with the hot takes. This part of hell is frozen, and the sinners are stuck in ice with only their heads sticking out. And Dante's like, this is horrifying, but honestly, kind of funny looking. They look like frogs. Eternally damned frogs. Yeah, there's Jack Nicholson. <laughs> what? The end of uh, the movie. What movie? Shiny. Yeah, well, it's not only his, it's not just his head. It's pretty close. That'd be funny if it was, if it was just his head sticking out. Um, so they're all like political murderers and shit. Dante accidentally kicks one in the face. Then he sees one head close enough to another that it's, it's chewing on it. One head's just gnawing on the other head. And he's like, I must know more. And uh, this dude, Count Go Ugolino, um, Count Dooku. Count Dooku tells a story that fucking traumatized me the first time I read this. It is upsetting. Yeah, it was the senator <laughs> who became the emperor the whole time. The short version is the guy whose head he's chomping on, who was an archbishop, of course, had exiled him, then tricked him into coming back. 
then betrayed him and locked him in a tower with his sons, then starved them all to death. And while they were all starving, his sons kept going, You should just eat us, father! Eat our bodies to live! Which, what the fuck? What the fuck, man? And then he goes blind. And then it is his sons starved to death first. Which he only figures out because because he's like blind and he's trying to yell for his sons and then he just feels their dead bodies. And then it's unclear from the text, but he either died or he ate his dead kids. So that happens. Yeah. And Dante's like, cool, real glad I talked to you. I'm gonna go now. And they keep walking and it's so cold and so windy and Virgil's like, okay, don't freak out, but Lucifer's up ahead. <laughs> And if the giants were big, Lucifer is giant giant. He has flapping bat wings that are the source of the wind and also three heads. And he's crying and he's chewing on sinners. One for each head. Judas, Brutus, and Cassius. It's weird that two whole heads are dedicated to guys who betrayed Caesar, but I guess, you know, Rome, Italians. And Virgil's like, okay, cool, time to get the fuck out of here. And Dante's like, how are we going to do that? And Virgil's like, you are not going to like the answer to that. Because they have to climb down Satan's fucking body. More specifically, Virgil has to climb down Satan's fucking body while Dante hangs off him like a koala bear. So I'm going to take out a plan. And when they reach the dick, yeah, that's right. When they reach the dick, he has to reverse course and start climbing up Lucifer's legs. And Dante's like, what the fuck are you doing? You're taking us back. And Virgil, who's like out of breath, fucking winded and shit, is like, no, it's fine. We swapped hemispheres. Gravity reverses itself in Satan's dick. You didn't know this? I'm dead serious. Okay. This is common knowledge where I'm from. They're in the southern hemisphere now. They reversed the polarity at Lucifer's penis. Yeah, it's why the toilet goes the other way. Yeah. 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 So they hop off Lucy's hairy legs and they walk through a cave that leads them out of hell and into the open air through to purgatory. <laughs> they clapped that dick to freedom. everybody it's megan coming at you from the wee wee hours of the morning because having a job again is really awesome but it has definitely made me nocturnal again so i'm i'm gonna try to make this fairly quick i i can't, I can't make absolute promises yes probably i know because you know this this is the big o4 as rj put it yes probably you're you're here and you are also very special oh it's important that you're here too you want you have anything to say on this very auspicious occasion nope you just want to look at me okay cool yeah yeah you little bastard man i mean i know i say it pretty frequently but that's only because it literally never ceases to amaze me that for four years running, RJ and I have done a podcast about old books 
and weird, dirty jokes. And not only do y'all show up for it, but you are wonderful about it. And you give us so much support and love. And it's kind of fucking incredible. Yeah, no, it's just... It's just weird to think back to 2017, specifically, I even remember, I think it was the Emily Dickinson episode, that on the day I uploaded it, we got nine downloads, and I was so excited, because only five of them could have been friends of ours, so four of them had to have come from strangers, and I was like, oh, who who the fuck could they be? How exciting. (laughs) And, uh couple weeks ago yeah a couple weeks ago we passed the uh 300,000 download mark so pretty cool and uh, another thing that never ceases to amaze me is our wonderful beautiful amazing patrons who would never be in inferno wouldn't have to deal with purgatory would shoot all the way straight up to paradise you know if that was their thing that was their jam. <laughs> I don't know. That gets us into tricky territory. The Virgil's too hard, Dante, perhaps. <laughs> Wait, no, that also sounds weird. It is 1.30 in the morning mountain time. God help me. Our patrons, they're amazing. We love them. They support the show. This episode and all episodes are partially brought to you by our patrons, including... Our newest patrons, Matilde McNutt, Sienna Costanzo, and Jordan P. Thank you to Matilde, Sienna, and Jordan. Very much appreciate you. We appreciate all of you. Maybe we'll do this for another four years. We'll see. Probably should we do this for another four years, but what do you think? Oh, what do you think? You got an opinion? No. No, why would you? Purgatorio follows in the same structure, which Megan didn't point out. There's ten levels to everything. There weren't ten levels. There were nine. No, there's because it was anti-hell. Yeah, yes. Pre-hell. Hell's boarding gate. Well, right. So it's ten, ten, ten. That's part of, you know, the comedy. Whatever. That's not what's important to me. What's important to me is, is watching them fuck around. You know, uh, <laughs> Purgatory follows the same structure of 10. In particular, here, we'll be examining the seven deadly sins now that we're out of hell. You know, the deadly sins are like deadly sins, and these sinners are bad and all. They just aren't inferno bad. So if you have indulged in any of these things, know your future punishment could be way worse. Are they incontinent? They did not specify that. So in the reality that Dante and Virgil climb into or climb out of after passing the dick, (laughs) and they get out of the inferno purgatory is an island in the southern hemisphere in fact if you draw a line from jerusalem through the center of the globe purgatory is directly on the other side this is known as being anti-podal for all you nerds out there the idea is is that when lucifer fell to earth he landed on jerusalem and it was literally the suplex fell through the earth and it pushed purgatory out of the seas Purgatory also being the only landmass in all the Southern Hemisphere, according to the text. Wait, wait. So he pushed Purgatory... It's body. With with his dick. Yeah. With the polarity of his dick. And there was nothing in the Southern Hemisphere before that. Things were sad and desolate before white man found things like South America, Australia, or Africa. (laughs) With the power of Satan's penis. 
So, <laughs> uh, an, another thing going on in the background, Megan did not make mention of, or they are keeping track of the days. It becomes important to the story, I guess. It was not at all important at all in the Inferno. So Dante and Virgil arrive at Purgatory on Easter Sunday, the day of all days. Easter, of course, celebrated for being the day Mr. Cadbury, the cutest of gray bunnies, laid a chocolate egg with a delicious marshmallow filling of some sort. Mmm, mmm, good. But instead of finding bunnies of the chocolate lane variety or the man-eating variety, they find Cato, who serves as a guard to Purgatory, placed there by God. Just some dude chilling in the guest house, put there by someone with more power. Kind of like Cato Kalin. <sighs> Fuck me. What are the odds? Yeah, they tell you history repeats itself. I hate this. Dante then starts to flex some early 1300s knowledge. He talks about how crazy it is to be here, opposite of Jerusalem. And since it's dawn in purgatory, it must be nightfall in Jerusalem, and midnight in India, and noon in Spain. Showing that he knew and understood the earth was round, and time zones existed, and that Christopher Columbo was just some whiny little baby with silly ideas. Oh, alright. Well, good for him. The two begin their journey up the mountain. The base of the mountain is known as anti-purgatory by those who have written on the comedy as they do not quite cover the sins, but just people who don't fit. It gets you ready for the real mountain. Purgatory base camp. <laughs> the first group the two come across are those whose Christian lives were in some way delayed or deficient. The excommunicated and the late repentant. The excommunicated are held at the base of the cliff for a period of 30 years longer than their refusal to obey authority. Or excuse me, a period 30 times longer. The excommunicated example is Manfred of Sicily, who in life was excommunicated by three successive popes, defeating two papal armies before being killed by the third. Manny explains that prayer from those currently alive and the grace of God may reduce the amount of time a soul spends in purgatory. So, you know... Similar to Coco rules. <laughs> Next up are the late repentance. Basically those who were either one, too lazy or too preoccupied to repent. Two, those who repented at the last minute without formally receiving last rites as a result of violent deaths. And three, the negligent rulers. They were busy doing hot girl shit. I would love for this story to be updated to include all the villains killed in action movies whose last thoughts were like, forgive me father. I can just imagine a real, like, who's who of villains all in the same movie, trapped on an island on Easter Sunday. David Lynch, Darren Aronofsky, David Cronenberg. These are directors. Oh, yeah. Right? Who's yeah. going to direct it? Any of them. Oh, who's going to direct them? I thought you meant, like, they're all going to be on an island. I'm like, what did they all do? They're just the directors. Oh, they, uh, <laughs> they're directors and perhaps villains. But I, I can imagine this is a David Lynch film. I'd watch that. These folks will be admitted to purgatory thanks to their genuine repentance, but must wait outside for an amount of time equal to their lives on Earth. Instead of getting any cool villains, we get Pia de... <laughs> yeah, well, See, know. this is why I didn't say most people's names. We get Pia, who was a noble woman that was murdered by her husband who wanted to clear the way for a new wife. Pia Sin, being normal and not getting any lost rights provided to her because she got murdered. <laughs> And now you have purgatory, babe. That sucks. Yeah, well. Too bad for you. <laughs> Another person who did not get these last rites was the troubadour, Sordello, who turns out to be Virgil's biggest fanboy, as they're both from Matua. Mantua? Well, you, said, you said Matua. I'm a soft end. Man you Mantua. didn't say it at Mantua. all. You said no end. <laughs> the tap. In front of the teeth. Using the edge. Mantua. Sordello is in awe. 
even though he knows Virgil is less qualified as a guide here than he was in hell. As such, Sordello lays down the law of the land known as the rule of the mountain, that after sunset, souls are incapable of climbing any further. You can only make moves during the day. In short, we, the audience, are being told that we can only ascend through light, a.k.a. God, a.k.a. Divine Grace. Dante and Virgil look to the sky and it's 3 p.m. The sun is going to be gone soon, so they peace out. Although Virgil probably kind of wants to stay and bask in the lauds he receives from this guy. By sunset, they reach the Valley of the Princes. You think Dante was jealous? This is a, like the only time that Virgil gets the spotlight in all of Purgatory, so probably. <laughs> Virgil is not nearly as prominent in this land. Well, because he doesn't know, he doesn't know this place. He's never been there. Hell, he's big dick on campus. Yeah. So by sunset, they reach the Valley of the Princes, where they meet persons whose preoccupation with public and private duties hamper their spiritual progress. You know, it's hard to be king, and you can't punish a king too much for being too busy kinging to instead be praying. The example here is Philip the Bold, a.k.a. Philip III of France, who in about 15 years doubled the size of France in the late 1200s. What have you lazy fucks done with your lives? Y'all better start praying. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is good. <laughs> As night falls, Dante writes, "'Twas now the hour that turneth back desire in those who sail the sea and melts the heart." The day they've said to their sweet friends farewell, and the new pilgrim penetrates with love. If he doth hear from far away a bell that seemeth to deplore the dying day. And he goes to sleep at 8.30 at night. He sleeps until 8 a.m. Look. Wow. Going on journeys like these is a tiring endeavor. Okay, I mean, you know what? He did spend much of the time in the inferno, terrified and traumatized. And unconscious. You know what? No. What the fuck? Get up, man. You know what's even better than getting 12 hours of shut-eye? Waking up and finding that you've been carried out to the gate of purgatory proper. <laughs> Virgil's still fucking carrying his ass? I guess everyone got tired of waiting for him to wake up. Joke's on him, though. No breakfast. The gate is three steps. Still fucking carrying him like a yeah. baby. The gate is three steps. Polished white, reflecting the purity of the penitent's true self. Black, the color of mourning cracked in the shape of a Christian cross, and red, symbolizing the blood of Christ and the restoration of true life. At the gate is an angel. Dante cannot look at the angel because the angel is just too bright for his living mortal eyes. Virgil recommends that Dante plead for entrance past the gates, which he does. And the angel is like, okay, but first, he takes out a sword, and Dante, who remains remarkably calm, has seven peas etched into his forehead with the tip of the sword. P, representing peccatum, sin, and seven for the seven deadly sins. The angel's like, you really should make sure you wash that as you go along. But it gets <laughs> past the gates. It's going to get hella infected, my man. So now they were in purgatory proper. They could tell purgatory was made up of seven different terraces, each one dedicated to a particular sin. Each terrace just had people milling about, basically seven different of the world's saddest and most depressing cocktail parties. The first three sins the troop encounter relate to sins caused by a perverted love directed towards actual harm of others, the first being pride. It's only 9 a.m. Because of having peas etched on your head takes no time at all, as long as you keep your blade sharp. Hot tip. Literally. Ah. They quickly learn that the opposite of pride is humility, which is what the people they meet must learn. 
All of those guilty of pride are forced to carry heavy stones on their backs, forcing them to walk around hunched over looking to the ground, which really can't be good for the sciatica. One of the prideful bunch is Umberto. <laughs> Umberto Aldo Bresci. No. What? Nope. Aldo, Aldo Brandeschi. Brande Aldo Brandeschi. Okay, Alberto. Aldo Brandeschi. Aldo Brandeschi. Whose pride lies in his lineage. As he says, I was Italian, son of a great Tuscan. My father was Guglielmo. <laughs> <laughs> See, I didn't waste time with this shit. I don't know why you do. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Guglielmo. Nope. Aldo Bresco. <laughs> You know, Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, nah, that wasn't his dad. He didn't aim that high. You know, as if that meant something. Oh, yes. Oh, quickly. <laughs> Walking around with the stone on his back. He did learn good, though, as he did add. I don't know if you've heard his name. Ah. Being proud of your ancestor seems a bit, well, low on the totem pole for me. But I don't make the rules. Another example of pride, other than Alberto being proud of his family, includes etchings of Satan. You know, the being that thought it knew more than God. Yeah, Umberto is pretty bad in retrospect, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's Umberto and uh, Satan. Just two peas in a pot. Dante and Virgil make record time getting out of pride by noon. Just in time for lunch. They meet with the angel of humility who tells Dante he has a little something on his forehead and uses his angel wing to wipe it off. One of those pesky peas. Angel Soft Brand Detergent makes a lot of more sense to me now, by the way. <laughs> yep. Also, Dante couldn't look at the angel again. Too bright. Dante mentions that once the angel moves aside, the walk to the next terrace is actually short and easy as they make their way to envy. Envy is the sin that, quote, looks with grudging hatred upon other men's gifts and good fortune, taking every opportunity to run them down or deprive them of their happiness. One of the souls they meet says, quote, My blood was so afire with envy when I had seen a man becoming happy, the lividness in me was plain to see. In short, this is where those people who are on Twitter and Instagram 24-7 shit-talking people, for now, reason. It's where they belong. <laughs> Be warned. Don't give free rent to people in your head. <laughs> the two are shown examples of the opposite of envy, virtue. One example being Jesus saying, love your enemies. Another being oh, that's, the that's easy. Yeah, another being the Virgin Mary being so happy at a wedding she turns to Jesus and tells him to perform his first miracle. Since technically stealing the spotlight at someone else's wedding isn't a deadly <laughs> sin, I guess. It's like, honey, honey, you know that trick you've been practicing? Why does she sound like that? She's a Jewish mother. Yeah, you know what? Fair. It's time. You've been working on it. Time to show off. Joshy. Let's make this about us. <laughs> but instead, that's being virtuous. <laughs> These examples provide as counters to the classic examples of envy. The first, of course, being Agoloros, who, according to Ovid, was turned into stone because she was jealous of Hermes' love for her older sister, Herse. The biblical example is Cain, not because he killed his brother, but because he was jealous of his younger brother, Abel. Why should the younger brother get all the looks on the girl, right? And then he murdered his brother. But first... Came envy, like a gateway sin. <laughs> first sin's always free. <laughs> no, it wasn't free. Oh, wait, it yeah. just came first. <laughs> As they move towards the exit of the terrace, Dante is overcome by a bright light again, third time. 
showing he doesn't learn, he goes, ah, it must be the sun. And Virgil says, no, you idiot. It's another angel. Like the last two times this happened. Come on, buddy. We've been through this. This time it's the angel of charity who brushes away another pea off the forehead and invites Dante onto the next terrace. You haven't earned this. As he's leaving the terrace, Dante adds, oh yeah, of course he knew it was an angel the whole time. You see, he was testing Virgil because he knows that the angle of incidence is equal to the angle of reflection, quote, as theory and experiment will show. I bet you didn't know that, Virgil. <laughs> Nothing like a science flex to cover your embarrassment. And then I'm sure Virgil kicks him in the dick. It's 3 p.m., two sins down, five peas on the forehead to go. Next up is the pea of wrath and its opposing virtue of meekness. The example of meekness is that of the Virgin Mary being cool and understanding of the fact that Jesus went missing for three days. You know, most parents would be texting their kids like, where are you? Call me right now. I'm so going to ground you. And the Virgin Mary was like, it's all cool, Jay. Hope you're staying safe, having fun. Remember no drinking and driving and use protection. You know, for a Jewish mom, that is actually extremely <laughs> chill of her. <laughs> the examples of wrath are embodied by the wife of Pisistratos. You're just saying things now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's close Let enough. Let me see that. Pisistratos. Wanted um, a young man executed for uh, embracing their daughter out of wedlock, to which Pisistratos responded, what shall we do to one who injured us if one who loves us earns our condemnation? So there's also Prance, who was raped by Tereus, who ripped out her tongue so she could not tell ah. the tale and then married her. Ah. In retribution, she wove a tapestry to tell the tale, killed the son the rape brought, and secretly fed him to Tereus before revealing the son's head on a platter. Where have I heard this one before? Yeah, wait a minute. There's a play about this. <laughs> Dante then meets Marco Lombardo. Oh, yes, I mean, Shakespeare stole everything, right? Yes. Dante then meets Marco Lombardo, a Venetian nobleman who talks to Dante about free will and the fact that man must have it. After all, if it were not for the belief in free will, how could we be mad at someone? Could we really be wrathful towards someone who had no control of their actions? The angel of peace swoops in, blinding Dante for the <laughs> third time, the fourth time at this. But Dante's figured out what this is, and it's not the sun. It's a flashlight. <laughs> he points to his forehead, and don't you know, another pea is cleaned, and Dante and Virgil push on. It's nearing sundown, but they maybe can squeeze in one more terrace if they try. But no such luck, because Virgil decides this is a good time to talk about the organization of purgatory. It's broken into three sections, one covering a different kind of love. Perverted, deficient, and misdirected loves. They have now covered perverted love. Deficient and misdirected loves lie ahead. This small talk takes Virgil over six fucking hours as he finally wraps things up at midnight. Yeah, that sounds like Virgil. These dudes booked it through three levels of purgatory in six hours. And then it took six hours for Virgil to explain what they just saw. <laughs> you know that thing we just did? <laughs> yeah, like, dude, I was right there with you. They sleep off that lecture and wake up the next morning to push into the most exciting of sins. Or not sloth and its opposing virtue of zeal sloth is deficient love people who had failed in life to act in pursuit of love they are thus subjected to ceaseless activity like hamilton with the writing always always, with always writing <laughs> always with the writing 
Hamilton was not born yet, so he wasn't here always writing. Who is here is Julius Caesar, who's being used as an example of zeal, something positive, because the man loved power. I mean, well, whatever. I can't keep up with the eternal logic. <laughs> Look, he's Roman. It means we like him. This is actually the shortest section because the sloths are now too busy to chat. Maybe all that sloth rubbed off, you know? Maybe Dante wrote this part when he was feeling lazy and he was like, eh, it'll do. <laughs> when they wake up the next morning, they are met by the angel of zeal, who takes another pee and the two press off. We are reminded that we are now onto the final three sins, the sins of loving good things, but loving them in an excessive or disordered way. And first up is avarice also known as greed. Which brings us to this week's Financing with RJ brought to you by the Gecko. Oh, shit. Gordon Gecko. <laughs> greed is good? <laughs> is good? No. Maybe you've been watching the news. Or maybe you've been on the internets. Greed seems to be getting some greedy people into some big trouble. And a bunch of whining about how some no-good nicks on the old Reddit are making a hell for people on Wall Street. The problem is, is that these people haven't internalized the message of RJ. As my most ardent of followers, my own personal Virgils know. We tell everyone to love themselves, love others, but also to love the feeling of money in their wallets. In that order! <laughs> you see, self-love and the love of others comes before the love of money. So instead of shorting stocks, what these greedy fucks were really doing was shorting themselves of the love for humanity, both of themselves and others. And that is what is still on display. All we can do, my fellow RJians, is continue to promote our message of proper and orderly love and try to save greedy people from winding up in purgatory with peas on their forehead. Go in peace, love, and riches, my friends. Well, how do we, how do, we do that? You gotta follow the right order. Not money first. You gotta love yourself first. You gotta love other people. And then you love the feeling of money in your pocket. Can we keep bankrupting hedge funds to do that? Maybe. Okay, cool. Here, those filled with greed lie face down on the ground, reciting the Psalm 119.25. My soul cleaveth unto the dust. Quicken thou me according to thy word. Which is a prayer expressing the desire to now follow God's law. The opposite of greed is humility. Like how Jesus was brought into this world in but a manger surrounded by farm animals and shit and gifts that were brought from around the land. While Wall Street wasn't a thing yet, those who were seen as empowered by greed were King Charles II of Naples, who sold his daughter into marriage to an elderly and disreputable man for money and power. A more iconic example is Philip IV of France, who arrested Pope Boniface VIII in 1303. This is Bonerface who schemed to get Dante kicked out of his home and is also the Pope destined for hell. But yet he is still the physical embodiment of Christ on earth. So Philip IV erred in his actions and he has to amend for his sins in purgatory. Dante tries to be objective. I mean, that's why he puts people that he still kind of like he likes and is sympathetic towards in hell. So even though he's like, well, I hate this guy, 
but he is the Pope, so you do have to go to purgatory. <laughs> the Angel of Moderation directs the poets to the passage leading to the next region after brushing another pee off Dante's forehead. It's only about 10 a.m. I can't imagine they did not kink the time in your section of this story. They were very specific. It is now 10 a.m. <laughs> well, because they weren't restricted on, like, time of day. Uh, it, it was more like Virgil just constantly being like, we have to fucking go. <laughs> It's only about 10 a.m., which means the two busted through greed, like they were, well, greedy for more terraces. Next up, the gluttons, those who overemphasized food, drink, and bodily comforts. The punishment here is to be starved and surrounded by trees that have delicious fruit growing on them, but that fruit is forever out of reach. It also doesn't help that we have people trees again, but these trees are good people, and they speak of those who were temperate in life, and thus should be examples you aspire to be. Like John the Baptist, who lived on nothing but locusts and honey. Ugh. I can't wait for that diet to become the new fat. <laughs> but yeah, can you imagine like you're trying to get the food from the tree and the tree's like, you should be more like John the Baptist. <laughs> oh no, God. You know, you keep trying, you ain't never going to get it, you know. You should have been more temperate. <laughs> no one tried to rip off any of the branches here. Yeah, Virgil wasn't like, hey, tear off a branch and see what happens. And Dante's like, I'm not going to fall for that twice. Fuck you. Yeah, so not only do these trees tease you with food, but they taunt you by calling you a fatty and telling you to be more like John the Baptist. Bunch of assholes. I'm all for green living and whatnot, but fuck those trees. <laughs> the prayer of this terrace is called Labia Me Domine. Psalm 51 and 15. Oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Damn right, open my labia and get to work, oh Lord. That's good. Who can disagree with that? Not me! <laughs> yeah, Lord, open, open these open lips. Open those lips, Lord. Yeah. Holy shit. The two popes actually bump into one of Dante's sweet new style buds, talk shop, and invite him to join in. The duo is now a trio. They keep the party bus going, and they're greeted by the angel of Temperus, whose brightness is like the red glow of molten metal. Another pee down, with a puff of his wing, and he pronounces... Blessed are they who are so illuminated by grace that the love of food does not kindle their desires beyond what is fitting. And they more, press more fat shaming. And they press on to the one we've all been waiting for. Lust. Yeah. Here we have souls repenting of misdirected sexual desire, who now call forth in praises of chastity and marital fidelity. To exit this level, you must walk through a wall of fire. Because shit is hot. On this level, there are actually two separate groups. They are separated by homosexual and heterosexual misdeeds. The homosexual representation in this tale is of Sodom and Gomorrah. Boring. Played out. The heterosexual example is that of... <laughs> oh, jeez. Of Pasiphae. Oh, yeah. Okay. We've mentioned Pasiphae? That sounds familiar. Right. She was married to King Minos of Crete, but got thirsty for some oh, literal bullcock. That's why I know her. As the result of a curse from Poseidon and went to town on it. You know, like heterosexuals do. Yeah, yeah, because that's how they made the Minotaur. Yeah. Yeah. It's your town on. Yeah. Like heterosexuals do. She she had, what's his face? Icarus's dad. Shit. What was it's it? okay. Well, I'm moving on. Well, because she, she had to make him make her a special suit so that she could go fuck the bull. Uh, she had to make him make her a bull suit. You know, like heterosexuals do. <laughs> I don't know. At least homosexuality still focused on sex with other people, you know? <laughs> Even at the time. 
Also, while not relevant directly to the story, Pasiphae was a vengeful lover, and King Minos was known to sleep around, and she was good with magical herbs, and she inflicted him with a curse that made him ejaculate scorpions and centipedes that would kill anyone he ever slept with. That I did not know. Yeah. That's not part of the Icarus. Daedalus, that was his name, Daedalus the Inventor. That's not part of the Icarus and Daedalus myth. Did not know that. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> Shortly before sunset, the poets are greeted by the angel of chastity, who instructs them to pass through the wall of fire. Dante is not about to do this, but Virgil tells Dante to buck up, they didn't come all this way to turn back now, and that sweet thing Beatrice could be found in the earthly paradise on the other side. Dante decides, I... By the time they get through the wall, it's late, and so they sleep on the stairs just before reaching the earthly paradise. You know, you want to make sure you hit that shit with a full tank. Yep. Come the morning, they finish the climb of purgatory at the top, earthly paradise, Eden, the place of innocence before Adam and Eve became evil little sinners and got us all kicked out into this hell of a 2020-2021 timeline. <laughs> Beatrice will be taking over as Dante's guide, which means he has to let old friend and pal Virgil behind. But first, Virgil announces Dante is ready for the earthly paradise. He believes in him. Dante says of Virgil leaving, but Virgil had deprived us of himself. Virgil, the gentlest father. Virgil, he to whom I give myself for my salvation. And even all our ancient mother lost was not enough to keep my cheeks, though washed with dew, from darkening again with tears. Yep, just like that. Bye, friend. It's been real. Here, I'll spill some tears for you. Peace! Virgil, like, forced ghost away. Basically, he Obi-Wan's off. But it pissed me off when I read it the first time. Like, it's not fair. It's like, well, I guess you're going to earthly paradise. Bye. Back to hell for me. I, I know we went through this whole difficult, arduous journey together. And I carried your unconscious ass a lot. But uh, this is something that I can never enjoy and experience. You've grown beyond me. Cool. It's unfair, and it makes me sad. So as Virgil passes away, and Dante and Beatrice are kind of standing there looking at each other, him crying. And then, instead of being all nice and stuff, Beatrice looks over at Dante crying. And she's like, bitch. (laughs) And then she also starts pointing out, you know, you want to go up to Eden? You committed a lot of sins, my guy. You got a lot of faults. I don't know if you're exactly cut out for paradise. So Dante immediately confesses all his sins and then passes out from the sight of Beatrice's beauty as he does this. Back to square one. Matilda, another woman along for the ride, immerses the unconscious Dante in the waters of the lead and he wakes up. The procession proceeds to the tree of knowledge where Dante falls asleep. This was really just a day of rest for Dante. (laughs) When he wakes up, Beatrice charges him with a mission to observe and write down everything he sees here for the use in his poetry when he gets back to earth. Dante witnesses the procession's chariot attacked by an eagle, a fox, the eagle again, and then a dragon. (laughs) He's just sitting there like, huh? Yeah. Then the chariot turns into a whore, courted by a giant. You know. (laughs) There's a lot going on. I think think, uh, in the River Wreath, there might have been some LSD. (laughs) Beatrice prophesies God's vengeance on the dragon, whore, and giant. After Dante passes through the River Leith, which erases his memory of past sin, and drinks from the river, you know. <laughs> I believe that's the name. Yeah. Yeah. You know. E-U-N-O-E. You know. You know. 
which restores good memories, you know. He is ready for his ascent to the heavens with Beatrice. Purgatory ends with, quote, From that most holy wave I now return to Beatrice, remade as new trees are renewed when they bring forth new boughs. I was pure and prepared to climb onto the stars. Also, every section ends with the word stars, but we don't get that for Megan. So I'm letting you all know, Megan didn't build that up. Yes, fine. When they emerged from the cave, it was like, and then we saw the stars. I'm sorry that I was more preoccupied with the fact that they swapped hemispheres by Lucifer's dicks. So soon. And now we're climbing onto the stars. Yes. So here it is. Paradise. Heaven. The big reward after all the hard work. All the scary, life-threatening bullshit. All the learning and the growth and the self-betterment and the angel wings gently dusting at your forehead. It has some of the most beautiful writing in the entire Divine Comedy. It is so boring. Dante and Beatrice fly to heaven. And then he literally says to the reader, Hey, if you're not ready for a bunch of theological theory, maybe this section ain't for you. Maybe you'd like to go back and read more about Virgil screaming about God's special hall pass while I faint a bunch. And if you're like me, then you nod and say, thank you for the warning, Dante. I think I will do that, actually. There's something to the whole, we as a people are more fascinated with the evil fucked up stuff thing. Inferno tends to be the most popular section of the comedy because it's exciting. There's all kinds of crazy shit going on. The areas of hell are wild as fuck. Also, Dante and Virgil are a fun duo. You root for them. Paradise is, by comparison, and maybe this is just a me thing, kind of a snooze fest. Dante visits some spheres and talks to some saints. Beatrice either acts like his disappointed mom, his angry schoolteacher, or his uncomfortably sexy schoolteacher. And then he experiences God's grace. It's no climbing Lucifer's dick is what I'm saying. Like, Beatrice is at her most interesting for the few moments that she is in purgatory where she appears and he's like, Beatrice! And she's like, bitch. (laughs) But yeah, no, seriously, the first thing Dante and Beatrice do is have an argument about the density of the spots on the moon. Yeah. And then she smiles at him and says, I'm smiling at you because you reason like a child. Isn't it hot when the woman you love compares you to a stupid little baby? Yeah. (laughs) You are like a dumb little baby. Sometimes you gotta pay for that kind of service. Then they talk about doubt and free will. And they fly some more. And then Dante thinks about how pretty she is and she smiles knowingly. That's the only way she ever smiles. Knowingly. St. Peter talks about how popes are bad. They all sing hymns. And they glow like a bunch of flying nightlights. And he gets tested on the concepts of faith and hope and love. And the Virgin Mary gives Dante a heavenly fist bump. And is like, you're cool, bro. And Jesus is there. Somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) That's how it wraps up. Seriously. He aligns himself with God's love and it ends. Like, yes, that, is that a bad summary of Paradiso? Yes. There's ten levels. It's boring, and I hate it. It's literally the end of all the action. He did the thing. He's in heaven. He's back on the good boy path. 
It's just a matter of learning cool heaven stuff, which which is fine, I guess, if you're into that. Like, yeah, there's ten levels, but it's like, okay, go to Mercury, talk to a nun. Yeah. Go to fucking Jupiter, talk to Thomas Aquinas. Have Beatrice tell you that you're stupid. Tell you about how many angels there are in the subdivisions of angels. It's so boring. I didn't read the whole thing. <laughs> you missed the twist. There is no twist. Beatrice disappears a little bit at the end and St. Bernard shows up. And he's like, sup, I'm St. Bernard. And Dante goes, okay, cool. And he's like, we're going to give you this test to see if you're cool enough to get into super heaven. Yeah. And then he is. But do you know what super heaven was? See, so you got it's, it's Imperium. You gotta, you gotta imagine the movie, Meg. It <laughs> opens with, you know, Highway to Hell. The closing song, Margaritaville. <laughs> Are you saying that God, when he aligns himself with God's will, it, it's Jimmy Buffett? Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait. Margaritaville is not a happy song. He's wasted away in Margaritaville. Some people say that there's a woman to blame, but he knows it's his own damn fault. Oh, yeah, it's God. He could blame me, but he knows he made her. But that's what we don't talk about in religion, Meg. I'm Jewish. I don't know what's happening. Yeah, paradise sucks. I'm sorry. Well, the, the, the canticle <laughs> paradise sucks. I'm sorry. That's, that's as good a summary you're going to get from me. I don't care if there's ten levels. They're all fucking boring. Read it yourself. So let's talk about adaptations. The work's been around for 700 fucking years. A lot of adaptations. Some of the most famous things related to it are the Devil May Cry games, which have basically fuck all to do with the Divine Comedy, but the main characters' names are Dante and Virgil. They are brothers. They do hunt demons. Mm. <laughs> that is a thing. In 2014, there was the cartoon miniseries Over the Garden Wall, which does have a poet wandering through what could be seen as an inferno or sort of purgatory-esque landscape. You'll know that he's guided by a figure named Beatrice. Also, there are trees that are people, and when you snap off the branches, they do bleed black blood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he is referred to as a pilgrim several times. That's just a really good cartoon miniseries that you should watch. I think it's very good. RJ didn't like it. RJ doesn't like things. Uh, there's a 2007 adaptation of, it's called Dante's Inferno. It's kind of animated. It's like a cool like paper cutout thing. I watched it when it came out. I don't know why the fuck I watched it. No, I didn't see it when it came out because I was not 17 when I watched it. I watched it like years later, I think in grad school, like randomly. It's really good. Uh, Dermot Mulroney is Dante and James Cromwell's Virgil. Uh, and it's like kind of contemporary, like there's contemporary historical figures that are like in hell. It's really funny. It's really good. It's a random indie movie. I definitely recommend it. That's just like my random pick off the list of things. There is... <laughs> From 1950, an Italian comic called Mickey's Inferno. Like, this is an official Italian Disney product featuring Mickey as Dante and Goofy as Virgil with an array of Disney characters. It did not receive an English translation until 2006. 
And that, even then, it was abridged. The complete version was released in 2016. I need it. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of crazy things in it. The only thing that I grabbed, because this is the funniest fucking thing I've ever heard, is uh, one of the things is, Dumbo, suddenly voiced and having trouble flying, giving Mickey and Goofy a ride through the burning city of Dis, being chased by furies. Yeah. <laughs> Can you fucking picture it? Uh, yeah, so that was an Italian comic from fucking 1950. There's a Mickey Mouse fucking Dante's Inferno with Disney characters. Gotta get it. I, I, I don't know where the fuck I'm gonna find it, but I want it. What else we got? Oh yeah, WrestleMania 36, the, uh, the Firefly Funhouse match, which you can hear way more about on the other podcast I do, Fun Fiction, with Scotty Moore. We, uh, we talk about that specifically, an episode all about Bray Wyatt. Because Scotty really likes wrestling, and I learned all about this. Uh, this was a wrestling match between Bray Wyatt and John Cena, and it contains numerous references to Dante's Divine Comedy. <laughs> I'm not making this up. Such as the sign on the door when John Cena enters the match that says, Abandon all hope, you exit here. And also, Bray Wyatt does make John Cena go through the nine stages of hell, each one representing... All the sins that John Cena has committed in his life and his various personality flaws. Because I think Bray Wyatt is an insane person. But also just very entertaining. And then in uh, 2010, there was a Dante's Inferno video game. It was basically just a weird God of War clone. But in it, it was like, hey, what if Dante was like a Templar Knight from the Crusades and he had to go to hell because Lucifer stole Beatrice. Also, he had a cross that was stitched on his chest. <laughs> because it was 2010. And we were fucking edgelords. Also, they had a direct-to-DVD tie-in. That they had the balls to refer to as an animated epic. <laughs> yeah. Give me a fucking break. I think that was everything I had of note. It's uh, you know, it's not an exhaustive list. It's just stuff that I like to mention. And that brings us to the part of the show that we always get to, and that is Hey RJ. So the Divine Comedy, the Divinia Comedia. Yeah. Good or bad? Uh Look, it stood the test of time no, for 700 years. No, that's always your... No, that, that can't be your fucking excuse whenever we do something that's really old. Yeah, it's fine. Pussy. Hey, Meg. Pussy. Look, I mean, the biggest negative, not many laughs. Comedy stretching it. Hey, Megan. Yeah, RJ? The Divine Comedy. Good or bad? I haven't read it in a really long time. I forgot how much I genuinely really love a lot of the Inferno, but I think I love the dumb shit I'm not supposed to. Like, the stupid character stuff, which is why Inferno is my favorite. Because, you know, you're saying that it's it's not funny, but Virgil and Dante are two halves of a whole idiot. You know, it's what makes them fun to follow around. Their flaws complement each other, and flawed characters are fun. It doesn't keep up quite as well through Purgatory, but it is interesting the ways in which Dante grows and, you know, how it changes his and Virgil's dynamic through Purgatory. 
as, you know, Virgil becomes less confident in his footing and Dante, you know, slightly more and they become sort of more equals, even though Dante is still, well, he's still kind of a fucking idiot. But yeah, once you take that away, my interest is gone, baby. <laughs> because the once, once Virgil's gone, like that, that whole dynamic is lost and it just gets really boring because Beatrice is not a great replacement for that. So yeah, I'm a simple dipshit who lacks appreciation for the historical contextualization of the work and how important it was like linguistically in shit for Italy or theologically or whatever. It's the stupid Mary Sue bullshit that tickles me. And for that reason, I think it's good. <laughs> I like the funny stuff. So yeah, a lot of it depends on what translation you're reading because yeah, if, it, if it's hard, then it's not fun, and then you can't really appreciate the stupid, goofy antics, which are what I like. And that's also, again, why a lot of people just read the Inferno and ignore the rest. And that'll about do it for this episode of Oh No Lit Class. Hope you enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun going back to one of my favorite things that I forgot was one of my favorite things. If you've enjoyed listening to this for the, the past four years, oh my good god, consider leaving us a rating, a review, subscribe, tell your family, tell your friends, go down into all the various circles of hell to tell your enemies and random strangers, be like, hey, there's, there's a literature podcast that I think you should check out while you're suffering for all eternity, or working your way up in purgatory, or in the various magical spheres of heaven. They probably don't want to hear this, but you know, everybody else. Uh, you can like us on Facebook, you can check us out on Twitter, you can listen to us anywhere, everywhere, all the time, and everything at ohnolitclass.com. The next episode will be out on February 18th. Till then, I'm Megan. I'm RJ. We love you. Bye. Wait, wait, wait. God, don't fart on the mic. Ew, that's disgusting. You gotta get the trumpet. You made a trumpet of your ass. Yeah. I can never get close to that. Yeah, mic. boy. That's so disgusting. <laughs>